Well, good morning again. I'd like to invite you to uh, take God's Word and open it to the book of Ruth, Old Testament book of Ruth, eighth book of the Bible, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So I invite you to open God's Word there. As you're uh, turning to Ruth, just again, like to um, thank you for the prayers that uh, you had given to our team as uh, we went down to uh, Manaus, Brazil over these last uh, couple of weeks. There were 11 of us that went, and uh, just a wonderful, just to say that the Lord opened up many wonderful opportunities for us to share the gospel um, there, many that we were planning on and uh, many that we were not planning on, and so we were just so thankful uh, to be able to go there and uh, uh, thankful for the opportunity um, to be there. And um, um, we just thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that opportunity. Pray for continued fruit to come of the trip. Uh, many times these trips, they seem to change you more than uh, an impact you perceive you have upon somebody there. And so it's always a blessing to go and to share the gospel in other places. Um, well, as we come to Ruth, over these next eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at this Old Testament uh, book, and uh, for most of those, you're going to be stuck with me uh, over these next weeks. As you know, uh, Pastor Adam is uh, away on sabbatical for these next uh, two months or so, um, and so do be praying for him uh, during this time. Again, as he has already mentioned, this is something that comes about every seven years for staff, I guess sort of a year of jubilee, uh, something that comes every, every seven years, uh, but we're uh, thankful, of course, for uh, Pastor Adam, pray that this time would be beneficial uh, to him and his family as he is away. And during that time, we're going to be looking uh, in the book of Ruth. So if you found your way there, I invite you uh, to stand as we read God's word together. We're going to be looking at the first five verses this morning of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Let's look at God's word together. It says there in verse number 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons, and her husband. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we look now to your word, Lord, would you help us to see you? Father, would you help us to see the, you in the midst of dark providences in our life? Father, would you help us to trust in you more? Father, would you help us to grow in our faith of you? Would you help us to be faithful? 
And Father, we pray this morning that you would give sight to the blind. We pray, Father, for salvation, the salvation of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Lord, even as your word is preached, that we would all look to you in faith, that we would look to you and be saved. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, in this time as we look to your word, that you would speak to us. In the name of Christ, we humbly pray. Amen. We may be seated. As most of us have seen, life has many ups and life has many downs. Life has different seasons. Ecclesiastes tells us that for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3, 2 and following says there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And it continues on in that chapter. Some periods of life that we face, we may describe them as winters. Tough times, difficult times, emotionally tough, maybe physically hard, where situations that we face in our life, the context with which we are living are difficult. These time periods may last for weeks, months, years. And some periods in our life are like spring, right? Things when times and seasons seem to go relatively well. By and large, everything is going pretty good. Uh, Things at work are going well. They're moving how they should be. It seems like our life might uh, be filled with friends. There's fellowship. Church life is healthy. People are seeking after God and uh, things are going relatively well in life. Many times, I would suggest maybe most times, it's somewhere in the middle we find ourselves in seasons. Seasons of spring, seasons of winter where uh, things are good, things are bad, all kind of mixed together in our lives. But as you look back on your life, you can consider and you can see how There's many ups, there's many downs, and sometimes there's just life where it's kind of muddled somewhere in the middle. In the midst of all of these seasons, especially the winter periods of our life, there's a very real temptation for the Christian. The temptation for us as Christians is to think that because we're going through a difficulty, because we're going through a winter period, so to speak, that God is somehow less in control. Maybe God is not as good as he should be. This expresses itself in our life with that sort of why question. Maybe we say this in our minds. Maybe we are honest enough to express this to others where we ask God why. Why God? Why would you bring about this situation? Why has this work opportunity failed? Why was I not able to get into this situation that I think would be better for me? Why did this accident 
happen? Why has this sickness come upon our family? How come this didn't come upon their family? How come death has come to us? And we could continue to go on and on in the situations that we face and we sort of ask this why question. And a temptation begins to slither in and it begins to tell us that maybe God is not good. Maybe God is holding back good from us. One of the things that we're going to see in the dark providence that took place in the book of Ruth is that God is good and that God is bringing about his plan through painful situations. God's dark providences always end in his glory and our good. And so this morning, it's my desire that we can identify God's hand in our own suffering, in the things that we face in our lives. You might be saying, well, I'm not going through a period of suffering currently in my life. I'm not in one of those uh, winters. Well, this is a perfect time for us to consider those things. It's a perfect time for us to consider that because many times when you're in the thick of it, it's a little too late. And we need to be prepared for those seasons in our life. Or maybe you're in a difficult time even now with things that you're facing. And I pray that this book of Ruth would be an encouragement for us as we sort of walk through uh, by the inspired word of God, the experience that Ruth had, and for us to see how God was at work in many of the mundane, day-to-day sorts of things that Ruth faced and how God was using it to bring about good and to bring about his ultimate purposes. And so it's, it's my desire that we would see that over these weeks, that we would see that this morning in these very dark providences that Ruth faced in her life. In these opening chapters of Ruth, we're introduced to a number of characters. In these opening verses, verse 1 to 5, we uh, see many of them named. And Ruth, as we're going, or excuse me, Naomi is going to be uh, the focal character by the time we get to verse number 5. So there's two main ways that we see the providence of God in the life of Naomi in these verses. Two main ways. And so uh, I want us to look at that. The setting in which she lived, first of all, we see the providence of God in the life of Naomi. We see that in the setting in which she lived. We see this in verse 1 to 2. The book of Ruth begins by setting the scene for us. Uh, events that were taking place in her life. The first that we see is in the very opening of the book. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. This was a notorious time in Israel's past. The judges ruled in the time between the death of Joshua and the crowning of King Saul. This period lasted about 300 years from 1368 B.C. to 1050 B.C. And as you know, this was a very turbulent time. Things were up and things were down. Some judges were good, most were bad. 
In fact, as you read through these books, a cycle of events occurred during the period of the judges. God's people would rebel and sin against God. God would bring about judgment upon them, maybe through uh, a neighboring nation. He would bring about judgment to them. Then God's people would repent. They would cry out to God in forgiveness. And then God would send a deliverer to rescue his people. They would experience his peace. Until then, they would rebel again and start the whole cycle over and over. And in the Judges, we see the accounts of some of the famous Old Testament names that we know, like Gideon and Samson, etc. And by and large, in this period, it was a downward spiral. Repentance became less and less. And at the end of the book, the book of Judges, we have this famous statement that encapsulates this time period. Look, just flip over uh, one page, flip back, and you'll be in Judges. And look at the very last verse, Judges 21, verse 25, this kind of famous verse at the end of Judges. It states there, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the backdrop for the events of the book of Ruth. That's the life that Naomi, as we're going to see, and her husband and her kids, that's the time period with which they were born into. There was no king, no ruler in Israel. Everyone was doing what they thought was right, what they thought was good. And that's when Naomi was born. People doing what they deemed best. And let me just, just pause here for a moment and say that this same sort of truth is true of us today in that we don't get to choose when and where we are born. Right? We don't get to choose that. We, we don't get to say, uh, God, it'd be great if I was born in the 1900s. Right? You, you didn't contribute anything to that, did you? You didn't contribute anything to the place with which you were born. Right? Whatever state you were born in, if that was in the United States, or you, you didn't have anything to do, whether you were born at some little house up uh, some little tributary to the Amazon in Brazil, you had nothing to do with that. God is the one who has decided all of that. You see, God is the one who has brought us about in the time and the place with which he would have us. God has a plan for you in the time and the place that he has caused you to be born. And this is all for God's glory and for God's purposes. I think it's very healthy for us to embrace that and to think about that and to realize that. That even the, the time period with which we were born, we had nothing to do. God had everything to do with that. And God put you in this time, God put you in this place for a reason. It's for a purpose so that he can be changing us and doing a work in your life and doing a work in others' lives through you. And so that was true uh, of Naomi. She didn't get to choose this time period. Uh, we can look back on it. I'm very thankful uh, that, that it was not born during this time. I know God would be faithful uh, in this time period just as he is now. But these were difficult 
days. These were the days when people were doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. And this leads us to another setting that we see. Not only was that the fact, but it also says that there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Now, this famine is not coincidence, especially not at this time period in Israel. Remember that Israel was living during the time period we call the Old Covenant, right? This is a part of the Old Testament. And so God had given them the Mosaic Covenant, and part of that Old Covenant stated that if they were disobedient and didn't follow God's statutes and laws, that God would give them over to their enemies and bring famine upon them and bring famine to the land. During this time, the blessings and the curses upon the land were directly related to Israel's obedience or disobedience. All right, now it's not like that in the new covenant. It's not like that today. Right? It's not like that, that you have a, uh, a Christian nation over here and all other nations are pagan and God, if, if we're obedient, God will send rain, God will bless us, etc. That's not the new covenant, but that is the old covenant that Israel was living in. And so listen to what God told them in Deuteronomy 28. Here's what the Lord said to Israel. Deuteronomy 28, 22 and 24 says, The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew, right? That just shows you mildew is a curse of God. We see that in here. <laughs> they shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder, from heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. You see, so this famine is no coincidence. God is withholding the rain from Canaan because of Israel's sin. It's because of the sin of the people of God that God has brought this difficulty upon them in the land. And that's the time period that Naomi and her family were born into. These were hard days. Famine is something I think that we're very much separated from in our day and time. Uh, the land of Israel was an agrarian society and was totally dependent upon the rain to sustain them. And this was a time period of poverty. It was a time period of hunger. The rich in the land would probably be exploiting the majority of the people who were poor. And the poor would fight, turn against one another. Children suffered. Starvation was a reality. This famine was not just for a couple of weeks, for months, but this was a famine of years, and this is the time period with which they lived. God's people had been disobedient. They had forsook their covenant with God, and they were reaping the benefits as a whole. It was a hard time to live, and this is where the family was born into. And so this leads us to the third setting of God's providence in their life is that they left Israel to sojourn in Moab. Look at the second part of verse number one and into verse two. It says, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from 
Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Elimelech is the husband of Naomi, and he was living during this time, and he had a decision to make. Would he stay in the promised land where there was no food, where there was nothing to eat, where this hardship was, or would he leave? And they're in Bethlehem. Ironically, Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. So they're living in the city of the house of bread, and there was no bread at all to eat. And so what were they to do? He said, we're going to move. I want to pick up my family, and I'm going to move out of this land. We're all going to go. My wife and my two sons, we're going to move from here. Have you ever moved before? Have you moved before in your life? I realize the congregation I'm asking that question to, uh, right? Moving can be somewhat of a stressful time, can it? You have to say goodbye to friends. You have to say goodbye to family. Maybe uh, there's a little bit of stress in packing uh, and leaving. You're going to a new place, uh, leaving things you know to people that you don't know or situations you're not familiar with. You might not know the area as much. And even harder for them in this time period, they didn't know the language. This was a very pagan culture they were moving into. That was just the situation of their lives. It was a dark time but at least they had the family, right? At least they had one another. And Naomi's husband, his name, Elimelech, means my God is king. It's a very funny uh, thing kind of uh, for that to be used in this where there's no king in Israel, but here his name means my God is king. God is king, but there was no king in Israel. It didn't seem like there was a king that was ruling and Raining. And so what did he do? He took up his family and he moved. He went to Moab. Honestly, I'm not so sure what to make of this move to Moab. Many people will call this disobedience, uh, moving to the land of Moab. And a lot of people say this was a sin for him to take his family uh, and move. Honestly, I think it's hard to know. The author doesn't seem to tip his hat one way or another. But we know that there was bad blood between Israel and Moab. The Moabites originated out of an incestuous relationship uh, between Lot and his older daughter. The Moabite king, Balak, hired Balaam to curse Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. In Numbers 25, Moabite, Moabite women seduced some of the men of Israel to worship the false gods. They had oppressed Israel. There was bad blood between them. And this doesn't sound like the best place to move. But in his mind, he's saying, let's sojourn there. Let's go there for a little while. Let's move there for a time. But by the time we get to verse 2, we see that he was remaining there. Maybe he had good intentions to come back, but time began to tick away. The rain was not falling. There was rain in Moab, and so they just stayed there. And so in regards, the situation of the providence of God for Naomi was a difficult, difficult time. It was a difficult, dark time. And if this setting wasn't bad enough, we see, secondly, the dark storms of winter that came upon her. More storms came to Naomi. Things went from bad to worse. Have you ever been there in life before, in your life? where you thought things were as difficult and rough as they could be, but oh, yet there's more. 
There's more that comes going from bad to worse. First, we see that her husband dies in verse number three. We're just simply told there that Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left. She was left with her two sons. Living in a foreign land, they're in Moab. There was a famine in their own land. And now her husband dies. But it goes from bad to worse to a a ray of springtime. Because we see in verse number four, her sons marry. And so they take for themselves wives. And no doubt, Naomi, this is a, a, an encouraging thing for her as, as now she is hoping to have grandchildren to carry on the family name, especially in this society. And so this little ray of spring comes along, but then we see in verse number five what happens to her in that both Mahlon and Chilion died. Things in her life have gone from bad to worse to a glimmer of hope back to horrible. Here you have a widow living in a foreign land without any sons, without any family to provide for her. During this time period, there was no welfare to help her limp by. There was no man to provide for her. She was, as the text says, left. She was left. And this Hebrew word for left is in other places translated as remnant. She was left there as a remnant, all alone. No husband, no sons. And then as we see here, the curtain falls on this first scene of the book. It's a dark providence. It's a difficult winter. An Israelite left all alone in a foreign land without husband or without Sons, And I guarantee you, Naomi must have been asking, why? Why? Why has all of this happened? Why living in this place with a famine? When we seek to seek relief from it, we leave and go to another place, and then my husband dies. She's mourning the death of her husband. But she has her two sons, and then her two sons take spouses, Moabite wives that they take. And then her sons, we're not told why, we're not not told how, we're just simply told that they likewise die. And so now she's grieving the loss of her sons. She's in a foreign land, and she must have been asking why. Why, God, have you brought all of this trouble upon me? We'll see her voicing these things uh, later on in chapter one. And I just simply ask you this morning as we consider these things, have you been there before in your life? As you consider the events that come upon you and you maybe ask yourself, why? God, why is this reality for me? Why do I face these things? Why is, has this hard thing come upon me? Why has this death come to me? And, and we all kind of contextualize this to our own situations of the difficulties we face in life and that we have seen in our own lives. And we can kind of ask that question, why? And we can kind of have that slithering thing come into our life to say, well, maybe God is holding back. Maybe God is not really all as good as I thought he was for this coming upon me. 
Well, there are a couple of things that I think we need to learn from these verses of Scripture. The first is this. The darkest providences of our lives have purpose. The darkest providences of our lives have purpose. In verse number five, the author says that Naomi was left without her two sons. A different Hebrew word is used for sons in verse number five than in verse one and two. It's not the normal word used for sons, but it literally means kids, okay? Like, like children or kids. So this word is not used to speak of grown men uh, who have taken wives and to refer to them as kids, okay, uh, or children. Instead, you refer to them as sons. And so to the original audience, to the uh, Hebrew readers, that, that would have perked something in their ears to say, well, why would you call these grown men kids, right? Why, why would you refer to them like that? And it's not until you get all the way to chapter 4, verse number 16, where this same word is used again, where it says there, then Naomi took the child, that is the kid, the child, the young child, and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. What we're going to see in this book and what you know as having read through the book of Ruth is that God took away these sons, but he had a plan to bring about another child to Naomi. We're going to see that that child would in fact be Obed, which should sound familiar to us because he's the father of Jesse, who just so happens to be the father of a very famous person in the Old Testament called King David. And so what we're going to see as we work our way through this book is that God's darkest providences in our lives have purpose. That's the point for us to see. God is at work in the difficult times of our lives. God was at work then, and the same God that is at work in these difficult times is the same God that is at work in your life and is at work in my life. And we must realize this truth afresh today. Again, maybe you're going through a time of difficulty and you need to hear this outside word coming to you from God's word of seeing and realizing that in fact God does work through the difficult situations of our life. God is at work in them. Or maybe, again, you're not going through a difficult time, but you need to be prepared in your life and realize that not only is it God at work in the good things, God is also at work in the trouble and the difficult things of our life. I want to say very clearly, this does not mean that we can see and understand these plans. Most of the time, the majority of the time, we're not able to see and understand why God does things. I think at best, we just see a portion. We see a portion of it. God sees it all beginning to end. We see a portion of it. Just think of Job in the Old Testament. Job never did get to hear that conversation in Job chapter one that we read right at the beginning. We didn't hear that conversation that Satan and God had in chapter one. 
He, he never got to see clearly that the calamity that came upon him was because God allowed Satan to test Job's faith. You see, most of the time, the majority of the time, I would say we don't get to see the reason to that answer of why. Why do these things happen to us? Job didn't get to see them. Many other characters of Scripture, and we know, they did not get to see that ultimate purpose behind God being at work. But the thing for us to realize this morning, the thing for us to see this morning, is that God is at work. God is at work in the midst of them. We must follow God and say like Job, though he slay me, I will hope in him. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Acknowledge that God is in your periods of distress and trust in him. Job didn't understand and see the big picture until he died. And he'd gone on to be with the Lord in heaven. As that kind of old hymn says, we'll understand it better by and by. Right? When, when we make it to heaven, we'll be able to see then the plans that God was doing, the tapestry with which he was uh, 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 quilting all of the beautiful difficulties of life into the tapestry of his glorious plan, things that we don't understand and see now, but things that we will see and understand in the future. Sometimes we get glimpses in this life of how God uses adversity for his good, but the point that we need to take from these verses is that God's dark providence of our lives have purpose. God is at work. Therefore, we're to persevere and have faith in him. The New Testament puts it like this. Romans 8, 28, as you know, says, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? We sang about that earlier in, in our songs. For those who are called according to his purpose. This verse doesn't give us the specifics of why God does what he does, but it does give us the specific that God is at work. God is at work in all things. We can't answer the why question, Right? I don't have that answer for you. I think people are foolish to kind of jump in. Here's why that happened in your life. Right? God knows those things, but what we do know, what we can trust in, is that God is at work in it. Second thing we need to take from these verses is that we're called to live a life of obedience to God through the ups and downs of this life. God has called you, he's called me to live a life of obedience through the ups and the downs of this life. You see, the Christian life is a life of faith. God has called us to look to him and trust in him no matter what dark providences we face in this life. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Our own sin plays a part. The sin of others plays a part. The whole world is fallen into sin. What should our response be? Trust in Christ. Trust in him that God is at work and by his grace seek to live in obedience to him in the midst of the ups, in the midst of the downs. The apostle Paul exemplifies and teaches us about this truth beautifully in Philippians chapter four. 
The apostle Paul went through many ups and downs in his life, didn't he? Many things that he faced, many physical difficulties in his life. Maybe that was a beating from somebody else, a sickness that he had, trouble in circumstances, shipwrecked, all the things that we see the Apostle Paul going through. And he says that I have learned through the times of having plenty, the times of having much, and through the times of need, of not having things, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not meaning that the Apostle Paul says, I can bench press 500 pounds because it's Christ living in me and I can do all all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, he's talking about in that verse that he can live in obedience to God when things are going on the outside well and when things are lacking and difficult. The difference is the trust in Christ. And that's my prayer for us to see this morning in these verses Not only is God at work in the difficulties of our life, likewise God has called us to live in obedience to him. And so let us determine in our lives to trust in God and live for him. No matter what situation that we are in, for us to realize God is at work. Naomi could not see that now in her life. She couldn't see that fact in these dark clouds that were upon her. We're going to get there at the end of the book where where she's going to see what God was doing early on, right? But here she couldn't see it. And many times it's the same with us. We can't see it. But brothers and sisters in Christ, let us determine in our lives to realize that God is at work. He's always at work bringing about the circumstances of our life for his purposes, for his glory, and for our good. And let us determine in our lives to live a life of obedience and faith where God has placed us to his glory and to his praise. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth. Father, we thank you for the things that we see Uh, taking place in these verses, these difficult things that, Father, we see in the life of Naomi because we see these difficult things in our own lives. And Father, would you help us that our faith in you would grow even as we consider the difficult things that we face in life, the circumstances Lord, would you strengthen us to have faith in you in the midst of it? Would you strengthen our hope and our resolve to live in obedience to you? Lord, as we trust in your hand, as we look to you, as we trust in Christ, knowing that you are at work in all things. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.